This reading serves as the basis for today's sermon message. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning gospel lesson that Vicar Rob has just read to us. Mark, who is the author of this account of Jesus' life, that's the basis for our sermon today, might have actually been a young boy when he first met Jesus. Then hanging around with the disciples like Andrew and Peter and James and John, he seems to have become a companion, an assistant of sorts to Peter, then later also to Paul. I like to imagine Mark listening to Peter tell the stories about Jesus over and over and over again after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. He's making a mental list. Maybe he's even jotting down the sequence that Peter followed in his preaching and his teaching. And then somewhere along the way, maybe Shortly after Peter was killed in Rome, martyred for his proclamation of Jesus as Lord in the early 60s, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, Mark set about the task of writing it all down. Someone has called Mark's gospel an American gospel (laughs) because it is fast-paced And one event follows after another an action-packed. And immediately, which occurs twice in our reading for today, is Mark's signature phrase that pushes the story forward at almost breakneck speed. In the season of Epiphany, is a season of revealing. It's a season of unwrapping who Jesus is and what he has come to do with his newly chosen disciples in tow. Now, Capernaum was a city on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the headquarters, at least for a while, for Jesus' work. Peter had a home there. It was located on the Via Maris, the Roman road that led from the Mediterranean coast farther north to the city of Damascus. In Jesus' day, archaeology tells us that a harbor had been created by building a 2,500-foot-long, 8-feet-wide seawall that had piers that extended out 100 feet into the lake. It was a thriving city, 
of mostly Jewish inhabitants who labored as fishermen and farmers and artisans and merchants and officials and the ever-present and annoying tax collectors. A Roman garrison of soldiers was stationed there. Capernaum enjoyed an enviable degree of economic prosperity. Now the Sabbath, the Sabbath is is in Jewish culture not just a day off from work. The Sabbath was the day where God's time and human time intersected. All the way back at the creation, the Sabbath was the day on which God looked at all that he had made and he declared it very good. It was the day on which God and man met together and reveled in the beauty and the splendor of all that God had made. The synagogue was the gathering place where they met to hear God's Word read and explained. The foundation of the synagogue in our reading can still be clearly seen beneath this structure that was built from imported white limestone, a clue to Capernaum's prosperity in the fourth century on the exact same site. Now, all of that detail, which Mark didn't have time to tell you, is to impress upon you that what we are talking about is a real place with real people at a real time with real events, not legends or myths. Now, it is tempting in this reading to rush ahead to the casting out of the unclean spirit. It comes very quickly in Mark's gospel. But first, we must stop and we must get our heads around what was it exactly that Jesus was teaching that so astonished his hearers? Well, Mark recorded it just a few verses back. You all heard it last week. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I know that you have heard from this pulpit many times. But I never really am quite sure whether or not it has taken a hold of your life. The kingdom of God is the world put right, the entire creation put right. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension set in motion the cosmic restoration of this planet. That's been God's promise since the very beginning of time. That heaven and earth God's space, God's time, God's presence, reunited with humanity's space and humanity's time and humanity's physical reality brought back together, reunited. This was the entire reason behind God choosing Abraham and establishing the nation of Israel through his descendants. They were to be a light set on a hill, shining in the darkness, a city on the hill, drawing all people, all nations back to God. 
that they might live together in perfect peace in God's real presence forever. But the message and that promise had been twisted into a nationalistic exclusivism, a selfish story of their nation first, and ultimately only their restoration, their predominance over and even the destruction or at least the subjugation of all others to their greatness. The scribes, each according to their own political point of view, told the people the stories of their past from the Old Testament. They instructed people on how they were to keep the commandments. They even acted as lawyers in the civil disputes that arose. Thankfully, I'm a pastor in the New Testament church. They prefaced their teachings most frequently with phrases like, according to Rabbi so-and-so. And then depending on who they had aligned themselves with would explain the scriptures. In other words, they spoke with a second-hand authority. So, for example, Rabbi Hillel was known for his very mild and open-hearted approach to interpreting the spirit of the law. Whereas his younger contemporary, Shammai, was a strict-minded individual who insisted on the letter of the law. I'll let you decide what labels we would attach to them today. Now, Jesus stood up and said things like, you've heard that it is written, you shall not murder. Truly, truly, I say to you. That anyone who hates another human being is guilty of breaking this commandment. In fact, anyone who dismisses another human being as useless or worthless is condemned. You see, Jesus spoke with primary authority, not secondary, as if he was speaking God's own word to them directly, which of course he was. Look, Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God into their moment in time, but in a completely unexpected and disturbing way. Because it was not, blessed are those who can yell the loudest, puff themselves up with pride and condescension, who seek to destroy those who oppose them. No, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, that's the humble, and the meek, which doesn't mean weak, but rather calmly courageous. Blessed are the peacemakers. The work of bringing the kingdom of God, the world put right, little by little, person by person, through faith in Jesus, is the task that he left his followers to continue from the time of his ascension until he comes again. And all human history is being driven by this divine reality, that in Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Now, do you understand what that means? That means that all of the geopolitical conflict going on in this world, that means that the outcome of this year's presidential election is in the hands and under the control of our God who is determined to bring his kingdom more and more into existence here and now until Jesus comes again. And lo and behold, if your candidate doesn't get elected, you can still believe that God is perhaps up to something beyond your comprehension, perhaps even beyond your liking, to facilitate what? The advancement of his kingdom. I mean, do you understand this? That the advancement of your career or its demise and the possible redirection of your life is directly relinked to God's plan to bring his kingdom to light. Do you understand that the colleges that you choose, the degrees that you chase, are part and parcel of his kingdom agenda? Do you understand that your marriage and your family relationships and your friendships are exactly the place where God seeks to grow his kingdom? It sounds so strange to our sophisticated, educated, scientifically advanced 21st century ears where we have relegated the demonic to Hollywood for our entertainment. And Satan smiles and he, he whispers, that's right, nothing to be afraid of here. Of course, you all are in charge of your own life, of your own world, <laughs> and you're doing so well. Another billion years or so, and you will have evolved it to perfection. In Mark's account of Jesus' life, the work of silencing an unclean spirit is the opening attack of a running battle that will end at the cross. And at that moment, at exactly the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, where it looks like evil has won the day, Jesus turns the table and uses evil against itself to destroy its power over you and over me. And Jesus' resurrection is the proof that it is finished. Satan and all of his demonic horde are defeated. <clears throat> and yet, like a wounded animal, they now thrash about. Still seeking to convince human beings that they can be in charge. That they can put the world right again without God. And humanity keeps falling for the same dumb lie over and over. Which is why Paul, another of the early followers of Jesus, had to write to the Christians in Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Look, discover the heart of God this morning in Jesus' authority. He is ruling and He is reigning even now over all things, pushing the battle toward its grand finale when He comes again in glory to make all things new, the world put right, the kingdom of God completed forever. Trust in Jesus. Believe in His birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, sending of the Holy Spirit, and His coming again. And He begins to restore your life, our world, little by little, bit by bit. Let Him be in charge. Look, everyone is ruled, everyone is under the reign of something. And any ruler other than God will eat you alive. It will consume you. Self-rule, self-management is a figment of your imagination. And Satan's favorite playground is to lead human beings to believe that they can be in charge. And your excessive anger and your obsessive anxiety are the proof that someone or something else is ruling and reigning in your life. Look, when things are going very, very well in your life, which I pray that for many of you is true this morning, that is often the time when we are most tempted to think, hey, I'm in charge, (laughs) and it's going pretty good. It takes a conscious effort, a conscious discipline when things are going well to daily surrender your life to King Jesus and the coming of His kingdom. And so we're called to be like Andrew and Peter and James and John last week, to be continuously dropping everything, putting Jesus first, following after Him, letting Him take charge. And instead of coming apart, we will start to be put back together. Now, it may not be simple. It may not be easy, smooth, and a painless transition. Look, the unclean spirit convulsed the man violently before it came out of him. The battle against addiction can be long and brutal. Marriages and families are sometimes ripped apart even when you are trying to follow Jesus more and better. Aging absolutely erodes the daydream that I can be in charge of my own life. Look, when things go terribly wrong, we beg for relief. And if it doesn't come, we must cling to the promise that God is even in our suffering, doing something that we may not be able to comprehend, and still it is a hard prayer to pray. Lord, take this from me. And if that's not what you think is best for me and for the coming of your kingdom, help me be patient and open to your presence. How do you and I come more and more under the right rule and the right reign of Jesus? 
Look, I can give you the, the ingredients again, but you will have to mix your own cake. And the Holy Spirit will be your guide. Be in God's Word. That's the Bible. Read it, mark it, learn it, and inwardly digest it. Be in fellowship with other believers to talk about your faith and how it's working day by day. Read a book. Stretch your understanding. In a day and an age when the world is at your fingertips through technology, find a preacher who proclaims God's Word in a way that speaks to you, even if that's not me. And listen, 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 because faith comes by hearing. Remember your baptism every time that you see, taste, touch, hear, or smell water. I'm reading a novel at the moment entitled The Covenant of Water. And the opening scene is set in the 1900s in India among Orthodox St. Thomas Christian community. And I heard this quote, and it made me think of baptism. All water is connected, and in it the world is limitless. All water is connected, and in it the world is limitless. In the water of your baptism, you're connected to Jesus and your world is limitless. Get up in the morning. Remember your baptism. Repent, forgive, love, serve, praise, learn, go to bed. And the next morning, read the instructions on your shampoo bottle. Rinse and repeat. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.